This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Prepare to visit the mountains of madness. And I don't mean insanity. I mean someone ate my last Jack Link's beef stick and I'm freaking teed off. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails to hear about how much I've been enjoying Final Fantasy 16. Today, I've got some very scary stories featuring terror in the mountains, from baby devouring monsters in the night to strange howls echoing through the cold forest. You may not be ready for these steep scares. Enjoy, and be sure to send me your scary stories of the unexplained at darkstories.org. You can go there to send me your scariest work stories too for my other show, Tales from the Break Room. And check out eeriecast.com where you can enjoy our other scary shows and even buy a super cool Wendigo mug. Now, let's begin. Stolen Breath from Anonymous I have no idea how to begin this. I suppose I could start by describing my home. It's a fairly stereotypical creepy environment. A large house in the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountains, deep in the woods. It's not an old house, but the land it's on is old and has a lot of history. From dozens of slave deaths and building long forgotten roads to a Native American burial ground and even moonshining. So a lot has happened here. I don't know if some of this is connected but that's all I know about it. I've lived in this house since I was 11, and since the beginning, it always felt off. My parents had always been fairly involved with the whole energy and crystals new age spirituality and had gotten me accustomed to it. So from the beginning, I was trying to figure out why I had such a chilling feeling about the place. I assumed it was just getting used to a new home in the woods, but it wasn't just odd feelings for long. After a few months in the house, a lot started to happen. I'm getting chills just writing about it. It was mainly little things, like lights coming on when they weren't meant to, and electronics consistently malfunctioning. I obviously didn't think much of it yet. I thought it was just crappy electricians we had to work with. Until the electric battery-powered candlelights we had in our living room table started to do the same. Even at one point, there was a putrid smell of rotting flesh that I've never been able to forget. It came from upstairs, where my bedroom was, and it filled the hallway. We searched and searched for a dead animal but found nothing. After nearly a week of checking every possible angle, we smudged the room, as we'd been planning on doing anyway, and the smell went away. Sometimes, when I was alone, I would feel like I knew I wasn't alone. 
especially when I started to hear footsteps on the floors above me, even though no one else was in the house. I never fully doubted the existence of spirits, so I would say things like, you're no longer living, please move towards the light, or if I was really freaked out, I would yell, go away. The moment I didn't feel safe anymore happened when I was a teenager. I was around 15 or 16, I think, sound asleep at around 2am, when I remember waking up immediately with the most intense fear I've ever felt in my life. I couldn't breathe. I was choking on something, gasping for air. I felt something warm on my face and wiped at it to see what it was, but I could see nothing on my hand in the pitch black room. The fear that rocked my body was ten times beyond anything I've ever experienced. At the foot of my bed, towering over me, was a dark figure hidden in the black shadows of my room, but I could most definitely tell it was the shape of a person. I could clearly make out a head, shoulders, arms. I can't remember if the thing was also in my dream, that maybe that was why I woke up. All I do know is that as soon as I woke up, I knew to look at the foot of my bed to find it. I was almost out of breath completely, and honestly, everything was hazy. But I ignored my fear of whatever was at the foot of my bed and bolted as quickly as I could to the bathroom, where the light was always left on and there was a large mirror. I had to figure out what was happening to me, why I couldn't breathe, what was on my face. I was dizzy the whole way there, my vision completely messed up. Black spots, blurry colors, I staggered into two walls but made it into the bathroom. I used the sink to keep myself up. I began to cough and gag and spit into the sink. Then I looked into the mirror, trying to get my vision to focus a bit. When it finally did, I could make out the red of blood all over the bottom half of my face. I've never been prone to having nosebleeds, so the sight was completely unexpected. Still feeling dizzy and with my body feeling absolutely drained of energy, I fell to the floor and managed to lean against the far wall. There I sat, staring at the open door, waiting to see whatever had been in my room coming around the corner. But it never did. I sat there, my mouth tasting of copper for about half an hour until I felt that I was able to stand. My vision had cleared, and I cleaned myself up. Needless to say, I didn't get back to sleep that night. The nosebleed by itself wouldn't have been so bad, but the fact that I don't get nosebleeds, and I've not gotten one since, along with all the other circumstances, has given me an experience that makes me smudge this house once a month now. I've only ever told one other person this story, but it still messes me up today. Oswang, Manolangal Dream from Anonymous. To give some background of this lengthy story, which not only involves myself, but mainly my mother, as it's her first-hand account, it would be best to give some knowledge on when it first occurred. In a small village in the mountains of Cebu, Philippines, my mother was raised in a very remote location that is mostly agricultural. Her family lived in poverty, but maintained a poor existence through the working of the land. They lived in a small hut, which isn't an uncommon standard of living within her village. In our culture, 
Families tend to share a room, so it's not irregular for the adults to share a bedroom with the kids, as poverty tends to limit means of quality of life. Now the first occurrence took place when my mother was 12, on a full moon night. The moon illuminated the entire room through the thin screen used to cover their makeshift windows. My mother also shared a room with my great-grandmother, my great-grandfather, my Suya Robert, and my Suya Danny. Suya refers to my uncle or a term of respect for male elders. Both Danny and Robert had just been born within that year. Both were fairly still in their infantile stages. On that night, my mother wasn't sure what time it was, so the only information I knew about how late it must have been was because everyone in the room had gone to sleep for the night. My mother would position her sleeping mat next to the window, as space was quite limited, but it would be by this chance night that would make her sleep the farthest away from the window for the rest of her life. As I mentioned, it was a full moon that night, and in Filipino folklore in the mountains, everything paranormal would be more active during full moons. My mom awoke slowly to a rhythmic, soft, haggard breathing that kept disturbing her dreams. But when she opened her eyes, as I'm told, she had become utterly still. In shock of something that was dragging its long, dagger-like nails along the window screen and proceeded to slice it open. Slowly but surely, the hand attached to those nails emerged. It was a dark, burnt brown color that seemed otherworldly to behold. But my mother remained silent, watching for what was about to happen next. Through the thin screen, she saw a detailed face that was near black, with bloodshot eyes seeming to glow in the moonlight. Dirty yellow teeth were revealed then, with black, kinked hair that looked as if it had never been combed and was raggedly unkempt. With the breathing that was becoming slightly more haggard as the hand kept stretching and extending towards something, my mom was horrified and confused as to what this creature even was. Then, to her horror, the limb of the arm began to extend to inhuman lengths. It was as if it were being stretched like putty, outstretching towards the babies. Right away it clicked that this creature was an Oswong. The Oswong is known very little in the monster-encrypted world. It is said they are witches that have sold their souls for eternal life, gaining inhuman and animalistic abilities. This being is typically seen with large bat-like wings and halfed down the midsection of its body horizontally, legless and simply a torso. All in all, a nightmarish horror to behold at the age of 12. But what really sets them apart from other monsters is they not only live in the most remote parts of the mountains, but their diet mainly consists of fetuses and infants. Legend has it, pure young life was needed to maintain the longevity of their own demonic powers. They are shapeshifters of sorts. They're able to blend in with human civilization, typically very quiet and withdrawn beings that are able to transform during a full moon. Seeing this creature stretch its entire arm to an inhuman degree terrified my mother into silence. She kept quiet as time passed while this thing tried to grab my uncles. But it couldn't reach as they were the furthest from the window being cradled with great-grandparents. The irritation in the creature's breathing became apparent. It had registered they were too far to reach and began to remove its hand and arm. 
Withdrawing from the window, it backed away to where my mother could finally hear it take off with large wings. And just like that, as swiftly as it had arrived, it was gone. The next morning, my mother told her story, but my great-grandmother warned her not to lie about things like that. But luckily, there was proof to her story. Before my mother was punished, they saw my uncle's forehead. A large scratch went across it. To this day, he has a long scar from that scratch. There was dried blood already crusted over. This shocked my grandmother, and that very night, their hut was blessed, all the windows covered with garlic strands in order to protect them. Why is this of any importance? Well, fast forward decades later, where young nine-year-old me was born and raised in the USA, I began to have dreams at night of a creature I had never seen before. A creature with half a body, black kinked hair, claws scratching at me. A creature that would be above my bed, scratching my limbs, scratching my body, cutting me into pieces. This nightmare haunted me throughout my life, and to this day, it's now my omen of when a disastrous occurrence is about to happen in my life. In that nightmare, I can't wake up until it registers that I'm dead. No amount of realizing it's all a nightmare wakes me up or scares me enough to make it all stop. What's worse is that on occasion, I've sometimes changed perspectives in which I'm the creature killing me. But I had no knowledge of my mother's past. In fact, in her words, she had tried to repress it, along with the messed up memories that occurred. I never spoke of my nightmares to anyone until I was 18, when I brought it up in casual conversation to my mother. I saw my mother's face drop at my description of the creature. She was shocked, horrified even. My mother asked but one question. Did the creature have wings? A feature I neglected to mention. It was then I knew she knew something about it, and that night it came spilling out. I've always been able to see things, but the fear of knowing my nightmare was more real than I thought was enough to make me refrain from ever visiting my mother's village in the mountains. This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the EerieCast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi as they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the US. Each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode on Falconer, New York, deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry while Steve, separately, researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. 
After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in, or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Warning, the following story contains depictions of violence against animals. Something crawling on my roof. From I am scared of the dark now, 7881. One day, a few years back, I think four years ago on a June night, Something happened to me that I'll never forget. First, let me tell you where this happened. I live on a farm in the mountain region of North Carolina. Even though I have a few ducks, chickens, and geese, my main job is to be a landscape architect. I've got a good house with a garage, a front door, a deck, and a porch. Next to my room is my hobby room, where I indulge in building things. I also enjoy watching the geese chase the squirrels sometimes. On that particular night, I'd finished reading a book called Chasing the Demon, which is about the history of airplanes and how a group of pilots broke the sound barrier. My eyes got watery from reading for so long, so I looked down and noticed my cat, Leo, and if you must know, his full name is Leonardo DiCatrio, was not leaving my room, even though the door was open. Usually, when I close the door in the room he's in, he starts banging on it to get out after a while. But this time, he was loafing around on my beanbag, which I found strange. After about half an hour, I decided to go to sleep, as it was 10.30pm by then. As I lay down, I asked my Alexa to play my playlist of soft piano songs, which supposedly helps decrease thoughts and aids in better sleep. However, despite the soothing music, I just couldn't fall asleep. It felt as if my mind was warning me of danger, that something bad was about to happen if I fell asleep. Whenever I looked away from the window, I felt this burning, itching sensation on my back, as if someone was staring at me intensely. I also heard something walking on the roof, scraping against the metal or rock. I tried to convince myself it was just a squirrel. Then the noise moved. I stayed still, because now the sound was right next to my window. Suddenly, I heard something that made me want to scream in fear. Tap, tap, tap. I see you. It had a sing-song voice, deep and gruff, with an eerie echo. Something had just talked to me. It was 11.37 at night, and I could see the shadow of something coming from my roof. A mixture of horror and curiosity got the better of me, and I made the worst possible decision. I looked. 
What I saw still baffles me. This creature. It was extremely skinny, bones and lungs visible. It was solid black. Its face resembled that of a corpse, with no nose. But its teeth were terrifying, numerous, and sharp. The weirdest thing was its eyes. They were electric blue, glowing and shining with a red eye shine when it turned its head. I was freaking out, stuck staring at this unexplainable thing, afraid to move, fearing I would provoke it. Then it locked eyes with me, starting to bang on the window. I was absolutely horrified. My cat woke up then and began to screech. Suddenly, the creature ran off of the roof and began to scratch, trying to find a way inside. When it finally left, disappearing, I got up, closed, and locked my bedroom door. Throughout the night, I heard it attempting to open the doors to my house, tapping at various windows. Around 2 a.m., it finally grew quiet, and I assumed, I hoped, it was gone. So eventually, I fell asleep. The next morning after having breakfast, I looked outside and I saw the damage. Some of the roof had been torn up, doors were scratched, one of my windows was even shattered. Even in the daytime, I felt a sense of being watched. I hurried to feed my animals, but one of my barn cats, Mary, was missing. I thought she had gone to sleep in the barn, but my other cat, Steph, was acting strange. His ears were flattened. He hissed at me when I entered the barn. This was odd, as Steph was usually very friendly, never aggressive. However, as soon as he saw the bowl of cat food, he came over and rubbed against my legs. I set down his bowl and left him to eat. I prayed that creature on the roof was not the reason Mary had disappeared. Unfortunately, I was wrong. I found Mary farther out in the field. She had been torn apart. It was a gruesome sight. I buried her that day, hoping that her end had come quickly and painlessly. I discovered as well that all my geese had been killed. Their coop had been destroyed, they'd either been eaten or had their necks broken. What was especially eerie that night was that there had been no noise from the animals at all. After cleaning up the mess and washing away the blood, I felt relieved when I saw Steph eating some of the remains of the geese. Leo was always on alert now, and sometimes I would catch him staring out the window into the woods behind the field. I would occasionally hear these screams and shrill cries coming from the woods. Even creepier, sometimes I would see blue lights moving in the field. I have no idea what this creature was. There is no cryptid I've found so far that matches its description in North Carolina. If there is a lesson to be learned, it's to get better blinds and never, never, ever go out at night to investigate strange noises. The Screaming Woman From Suki I want to tell you about something unsettling that happened to our family a long time ago. 
This isn't my story, as I was a kid. This happened to my parents. Several years ago, when I was less than five years old, my dad used to work a government job for which he had to travel to different cities, staying for a few months at a time. This time he would be stationed at a very remote village in India. I honestly forgot the name of it, because it's a pretty old name, and since then, the village has grown into a town and changed its name. I can describe it to you. It's a mountainous, or rather hilly location. There were houses placed on top of each hill, and long rivers were running around near the hills. There was a small local village that was barely populated. There was no electricity, as it was that long ago, and remote villages didn't have access to the wires, nor did they have the money. My dad had been stationed there for several months. During that time, my mom, who was pregnant with my sister, was staying with him. I was back at home with my mother's sister and grandma for school. My dad went to great lengths to get electricity in their home. He got the cables, installed them in the power stations, and brought the wires near their home. In the end, their house was the only one with any electricity. Now that you've got a sense of the place, I'm going to tell you my dad's story, which to this day sends a chill down my spine whenever he tells it to us. It started one evening when my parents were in the house near the village. It was at night, around 8 to 9 p.m. They were doing their work when suddenly they started to hear screaming. They both got a bit puzzled and startled and went to check it out. My dad said they could hear this woman screaming on the opposite side of the river. It sounded like a woman who was running for her life, screaming bloody murder. So the scream would start at one end and continue until the end of the river, where the scream suddenly stopped as if whoever had been pursuing her had caught up to her and ended her there. Obviously, this freaked out my parents, who were terrified and worried at the same time. My dad said the scream was unnatural, like it was distressing, and at the same time, bone-chilling. They quickly went in and closed the doors. The next day, things seemed to return to normal, although the screaming was never far from their minds. However, that evening the same thing started. They could hear a woman shrieking and screaming. It seemed to be the same woman. The scream would start at one end of the river and continue until she reached the end, with the same results as before. This happened for two more nights, which greatly worried my parents. After that, my dad went down to the village below and went to talk to the local tea vendor. A few men were gathered there, and they started to have a conversation. He brought up the subject very casually, like, oh, so have you heard a woman screaming at night? They looked at him puzzled. While the village was not near the river, he was sure they might have heard something, as the scream was so loud and shrill. The men, however, answered that they never heard any woman scream, and it wouldn't be hard for them to miss it, as it becomes quiet at night due to the low population and the darkness. So my dad left and went home. That night, the same scream started up again. My parents were now convinced it was something supernatural. It continued for days, and sometimes there would be no screams for a few days, 
then suddenly it would start up again. One day, my dad's mom came to visit. That night, she too heard the screaming. She came out of her room and asked her son what that screaming was. When my dad explained what was going on, she was concerned, warning them that this was not good. The scream was something evil. She felt very unsettled by that scream and advised my mom to sprinkle mustard seeds around the perimeter of the house. My mom did as she was told. Apparently, mustard seeds guard you against evil. I'm not sure if that's true, but my parents did as instructed by the elders. As the screams went on and on, my parents got used to it and didn't really acknowledge it anymore. Soon, my mother was nearing her due date. My dad's duties were almost over, but he still had a few loose ends to tie up and finish his jobs. He brought my mom back to the city so she could prepare for the birth, but he had to go back and finish up his last remaining days before he could leave that place for good. While he was alone, some of his subordinates came to the house to celebrate and have a farewell party. They brought the booze and food. They eventually started to ask my dad about the Bhutni, which is our term for a female ghost. They wanted to hear the screaming too. Apparently, the gossip had spread a lot about a screaming ghost, and my dad's subordinates wished to witness it for themselves. My dad, who had become very casual about the whole thing, almost disregarded the presence altogether, saying, Yeah, you guys can go and listen to it, but I'm tired. I'm heading to bed. So he went off to his bedroom. He went to bed while the party continued outside. Eventually, he was awakened when one of the men came into the room and began to shake him to wake him up. Sir, we heard it. There was visible terror and a tremor in his voice. My dad looked at him. The man was horrified. He continued. We heard the bootney, he kept on saying. My dad dismissed him. His reaction was cool. Yeah, yeah, he said. Good, now let me sleep. Honestly, he told me that at that point he just didn't care anymore. It had been months of this. A few days passed after that, and it was my dad's final night in that house. There had been no screams for the past few days. He had wrapped up his work and was leaving the following morning. Since he had nothing more to do, he poured himself a glass of water and sat in front of the small TV, flipping through the handful of channels available. Suddenly, the screams started up. This time, they did not stop at the lake. My father said he could hear the screams coming closer and closer to the house. He had never been more scared when he heard the screams reach his house, and it was now coming closer to where he sat. My dad remained in his chair, staring at the TV, unblinking for a second, when suddenly it sounded as if the scream entered his room and was right next to him. That woman, or whatever it was, was now screaming directly in his ears, and he said he could feel there was something right by him, maybe just an inch away. He dared not to turn to look at it, he kept his eyes fixed on the TV, his whole body shaking in absolute terror. 
He said if he had turned, he was sure he would have seen what it was. But he did not want to see it. The scream continued in his ear for a few moments, and then, with a final loud scream, it whooshed out of the room. My dad sat there for maybe an hour. He was shaking so badly during the screams that he spilled his drink on the floor and on himself. He never heard the cry again. He was only too happy to leave that place forever. My dad thinks that whatever it was, maybe it felt disrespected by how my father was totally ignoring it, and it came over to remind him. They theorized that maybe the cry was never coming from beyond the lake, but it was on the land they were on. Otherwise, how else did the villagers never hear it? Only they did. It was there all along. Beast of Mount Howl From Wolfman 20 I can't really remember much about this horrific experience, but I can say with all honesty, what happened was real. It was the summer of 2011. My mom thought it would be a great idea to visit my grandfather at a trailer park, where he would stay during the summer. It's not that I wasn't an outdoorsy kid. I loved being outside. I always visited my grandpa, but there weren't many kids my age around there. However, that year was different. When I arrived at the trailer park, I saw a friend of mine, whom I had known since kindergarten. We hung out for a little bit, introducing each other to our grandpas. My grandpa was a man of the great outdoors. He knew the surrounding woods like the back of his hand, including the mountains behind them. During my time there, my grandfather, my friend, and I would camp out in the woods whenever we felt like it. But on June 10th, that's when it all started. It was early in the evening, and I decided to go for a little hike. The summer breeze was amazing, and the sound of the rushing river and animals was so serene. I would see squirrels and chipmunks, and I could even hear wolves howling in the distance. I sat down on a log to rest, noticing the mountain near the trailer park. I always asked if the mountain had a name, and everyone around seemed to call it Mount Howl. I did hear a lot of howling coming from that mountain, assuming that wolves or coyotes lived there, which is how it got its name. But that evening, I heard a howl coming from the mountain. It sounded louder than the typical howl, like it was coming from something much bigger than a wolf. I decided to head back to the trailer as it was getting late. Little did I know, that night would be the scariest night of my life. Later into the night, I was sleeping peacefully to the sound of nature, when everything went quiet, including the wind. My grandfather had taught me a lot about nature, and a saying he always told me was, if nature ever goes quiet, there's a predator nearby. I began hearing leaves and twigs breaking. I decided to take a peek from my window. That's when I saw it, a big creature with black fur. At first, I brushed it off, assuming it was a black bear. Until it stood up on two legs, I could then see it was too slim to be a bear. In fact, the thing looked far more wolf-like, but I could easily tell it was taller than your average wolf. 
It howled then. The howl was the same one I'd heard from earlier that evening. It sniffed the air as if it were hunting something. Then it turned its head, looking directly at our trailer, looking at me. I was frozen to the spot. This humanoid-looking wolf-like thing was hunting, and now its eyes were on me. I snapped out of it, quickly ducking down under the window, hiding under a blanket. The footsteps grew louder and closer until they stopped. I waited for a little while before I made the biggest mistake I could have made. I looked out the window again. There it was, that huge wolf-like humanoid thing, claws and sharp teeth and all. My eyes widened. My fear enveloped me to the point where I couldn't even breathe. It turned its head to the right and walked away. I thought maybe it lost interest in me, but then I heard a shaking noise. It was the sound of the trailer door, and that creature was now trying to open it. How did it know what a door was? Eventually, I was able to run out of my bed and keep the door from opening. But since I was only eight years old, it obviously wasn't enough. Suddenly, the sound of a gun being fired shook the entire trailer. There was a howl, and the creature ran away. When I no longer heard footsteps, I opened the door and I saw one of my neighbors, John. You okay, kid? He asked. But the only response I could muster was, What was it? Thankfully, he replied, The reason we call it Mount Howl. For the rest of that summer, I stayed either with my friend, my grandpa, or inside the trailer. I never hiked in those woods again, and I'm glad John stopped that creature. Otherwise, I don't think I'd be here to write this story. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny, and Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Bravery is for the foolish. From Nicholas. I'm from the Middle East. The story I'm about to tell you happened in one of my family's vacation homes in the French Alps. For as long as I can remember, my family has had big expectations of me. I come from a long line of politicians, CEOs, and doctors. Growing up, I had everything anyone could ever wish for. A private driver, chefs, multiple houses, numerous cars, guards, and the privilege of flying on our jet. I apologize if I sound boastful but that was my reality. 
One day, my mother approached me, expressing her desire for me to continue competing in ski competitions, as I had done so in the past. She suggested sending me to one of our vacation homes in the French Alps to train. I agreed, asking if I could bring some friends along, and I requested we have no guards or security. Hesitantly, she agreed, and a couple of months later I flew to our house near the city of La Clusaz in the French Alps. It was a beautiful area, with snowy mountains, forests, and long icy rivers surrounding the city. Truly breathtaking. The house itself lived up to my expectations, resembling a luxurious alpine chalet nestled amidst the majestic mountains. It offered stunning panoramic views, spacious living areas, and elegant decor. As I stood outside the chalet, the air was crisp and biting. The moon illuminated the snow-covered peaks, creating an almost ethereal ambience. Inside, my friends and I reveled in the comforts of our abode, enjoying the warmth of the crackling fireplace, sharing stories, laughing at our friend, who had fallen numerous times during the day. However, as the night went on, an unsettling silence descended upon us. The wind outside grew stronger, howling through the trees, causing the shutters to tremble. Suddenly, we heard a strange sound which resembled a roar. A shiver ran down my spine. An inexplicable sense of unease settled in the pit of my stomach. The joyful atmosphere faded, replaced by a growing sense of apprehension. Unable to ignore the growing curiosity, I made the decision to venture out into the frigid night to see if I could find the source of the disturbance. Equipped with a sturdy flashlight, its beam piercing through the dark, I stepped out onto the snow-covered ground. The cold immediately enveloped me, gnawing at my skin and making my breath visible in the wintry air. Crunching through the deep snow, I followed a set of enormous footprints which appeared to have been left behind by some massive person or creature. The tracks were deep and clawed. This definitely wasn't a person, an unnerving sight that sent a chill down my spine. Yet my determination to uncover the mystery pushed me forward. My friends joined me in the venture. As we delved deeper into the forest, the trees closed in around us, creating a dense canopy that blocked out the moon's gentle light. A palpable sense of foreboding hung heavy in the air, suffocating our spirits. The silence grew deafening, broken only by the sound of our own breathing and the crunching of snow beneath our boots. Then the silence was shattered, with a blood-curdling roar that pierced through the night, reverberating through the trees. We came to a sudden halt, frozen in our tracks, hearts pounding in our chests. In the eerie glow of my flashlight, a monstrous figure emerged from the shadows, bathed in an otherworldly aura. It was tall and imposing, towering over us with glowing red eyes that seemed to pierce through the dark. Its sharp fangs gleamed ominously in the moonlight, its matted fur giving off a nightmarish appearance. The creature gave off a primitive look, as if it embodied the very essence of the untamed wild. Fear gripped me. It felt like time slowed down. Every detail of the scene etched itself into my mind. The creature then let out another bone-chilling growl. That guttural sound resonated through the forest, causing the ground beneath our feet to tremble. 
I panicked, but found my voice, shouting at my friends to run. With hearts pounding and fear propelling us forward, we sprinted back through the snow-laden forest, footfalls echoing through the night. The world blurred as we raced toward the safety of the chalet, gasping for breath, our bodies trembling with exhaustion and adrenaline. The warm light inside made it feel like a sanctuary. We waited until sunrise, then we called the police. They arrived relatively quickly and began to question us. When they were done, they were definitely suspicious of our claims, but I couldn't help but feel they knew something we didn't. They suggested we were simply scared, our minds exaggerating the sighting. They said it was probably a bear or a wolf, but we found that hard to believe, considering they're not very active during ski season. At that point, we didn't care. We just wanted to leave as quickly as possible. The next morning, we boarded a flight back home. To this day, I can vividly remember the glowing eyes and fangs we saw in the dark. I've never again chosen one of our houses over a hotel now. This experience will always stick with me. Skinwalker tried to kill us. From Anonymous. In 2018, a few buddies, Gage, Kobe, and I, took a trip to my grandfather's house outside of Colorado Springs. We were quite literally in the middle of nowhere, planning to go on a little riding trip. I hopped on my Honda three-wheeler, which had a huge LED spotlight on it and a rifle rack on the back. Gage had his Honda four tracks, and Kobe had borrowed my Honda Recon. I was the only one with a gun, a 30-30 Winchester. We took off to ride some trails up in the mountains and sleep under the stars. We left at 3.30 p.m., driving through the mountains, having a grand old time. We stopped somewhere in the middle of that nowhere, about 20 to 25 miles away from my grandpa's house. That would leave us around 50 to 60 miles away from the nearest town. There was no one around, but we all stopped to talk, drink some water, and check the handheld GPS. By then, it was roughly 6.30 to 7 p.m. Suddenly, a scream rang out from somewhere. Startled and confused, we headed in the direction of the scream, wondering if someone had been hurt. It sounded very close, maybe less than a mile away. If it wasn't a person, we figured it might be a dying rabbit or coyote. Sometimes they can sound human when getting killed. After finding nothing, we went back to our trail, gassed up, and drove until about 8.30 to 10 p.m. Eventually, we stopped and went to sleep. Kobe woke me up in the middle of the night, I think around 1.30. He said, Grant, something or someone is out there messing with us. I thought he was messing with me. Dude, if it makes you feel better, I'll stay up and watch camp. He agreed. He lay down and went to sleep. It wasn't even ten minutes into my guard duty when I heard Gage out in the woods yelling, Grant, get over here! I started up my Honda, flipping on my spotlight, pointing it into the woods. I saw something there, something that looked like a large wolf, a wolf that looked as if it had eaten nothing its whole life. I could see every bone in its body. 
Its eyes were all messed up too. It was hard to describe them. It was looking right at me, and I was frozen there. I yelled again. Gage! Kobe! Gage yelled at me, saying, Grant, shut up! Then Kobe shot up, starting to shake Gage awake. I reached around to my Winchester, grabbing it, and aiming it at this wolf. I racked around and pulled the trigger. I watched it hit. I saw the wolf fall to the ground, and for a moment I was relieved. I thought it was over. But then I watched it get up, stand on two legs, and run towards me. So I leveled the rifle again and fired at it. By this time, Kobe and Gage were already starting their rigs up. I started mine and took off. I watched this wolf running beside me, even though we were going about 50 miles per hour. We didn't stop until we made it to my grandfather's house. We pulled up, shut our machines down, and ran inside. None of us set our parking brakes on the rigs. I held my rifle close. When we ran inside, I slammed the door shut and deadbolted it. Kobe and Gage were running around checking and locking the other doors and windows. At 4am, we tried to get some more sleep. Eventually, I woke up to my dad banging on the front door. At first, I was confused. But then I realized, my dad would have been able to get back inside the house because he knew where the key was hidden. Then it was clear that his voice didn't sound right. Whatever it was that sounded like my dad grew angrier by the second, demanding that we open the door. My grandpa came out of his room yelling at us, What in the world is going on? I said something was outside. He grabbed his revolver, then peeked out the window. I saw him jump. He then told us to get in the basement immediately. Kobe and Gage ran downstairs. My grandfather and I went after them. Eventually, the banging stopped. When we went outside in the morning, we saw that our rides had rolled away a bit, but they were fine. However, on the Honda Recon, there were some distinctive claw marks in the front right fender. Since then, we haven't been back to Colorado. Not sure if I want to go back for a while. I got sent to a boarding school in 2021, and when I talked about it with a Native American kid I met, he mentioned it could have been a skinwalker, but he was real hush-hush about it, not even saying its name, though I did manage to get him to write it on a piece of paper. He warned me to never say its name. I believe that's what we may have seen, but I can't be sure. He saved me. From Died 42 I was in Flagstaff, Arizona. I was driving my 4x4 Silverado from the Midwest to Flagstaff, Arizona. Unfortunately, when I arrived to pick up my brother, who was supposed to be getting out of rehab the next morning, he didn't sound so sure. Later, I found out he had run away and just checked back in a few days earlier, planning to run again, pretending he had made it the full 60 days. I was livid. I'd given up my apartment left everything except my clothes, guns, and music equipment. Our plan, like that of many early 20-year-old artists and musicians, was to go to California, play music by the beach, live off the wealth of California and taxpayer dollars, and if necessary, resort to our old St. Louis pastime, 
living off the expenses of others. Of course, we had our own honor code. We would only rob dealers and steal from corporate businesses. We never gave or did anything for free, except for playing music on the street. We had about a two-hour set that we could play repeatedly for eight hours without anyone noticing, but if the crowd grew big enough and we ran out of material, we would freestyle or play unfinished songs. I should note here that I do have anger issues. I've been fighting it my entire life, mentally against myself and physically against pretty much everyone else. I left Flagstaff after only being there for an hour. Night crept over the seemingly affluent area, making me feel like the police would magically be drawn to my presence. I typed Venice, California into my GPS, and I took the most deserted-looking and longest route possible, hoping to encounter fewer obstacles. I was right, but I'll be honest, what I saw that night, I would take my chances with the police and my numerous felonies still alive, but I'm not here to preach. The GPS took me up a winding two-lane mountain road, it transitioned from forest to desert and back again, giving it an odd twilight zone-like quality. I could hear my dog snore, then growl very lowly, then snore again. He did that in his sleep. I then realized he wasn't asleep. He was standing straight up, staring over my shoulder. I began to notice his paws on the center console. Then, after giving me a worried look, he climbed into the front seat, with part of his body in my lap, staring intently outside the beams of light. I rubbed his back, trying to comfort him, but he was shaking. I knew my dog. He would never run from a fight. He had proven many times he would put himself between me and danger. Ask that crackhead with a gun and no clip. That's a different story, though. As he growled, he started to aggressively pound my window with his nose. This behavior was also normal, but only if there was another dog or person outside. Trying to concentrate on the road, I grew slightly annoyed, so I rolled the window down a bit. That way he could stick his head out. That's when the smell hit me fully. Having a 120-pound German Shepherd in your lap and in your truck for most of their lives makes you accustomed to the smell of a dog. But believe me, this scent was different. It was like the smell of a rotting corpse. Chevy, my dog, immediately recoiled, almost causing me to wreck again. I rolled the window up, cursing. I'd had enough. I yelled to him, Chevy, get back, while fumbling for the handgun under my seat. He reluctantly jumped into the back seat at the sight of what I was pulling out. Old Rusty. He knew her well and panted happily, lying in the back seat floorboard. I knew how loud the sound would be, so after locking eyes with me and pointing his head in the same direction as before, I yelled, Go sleep it off! Trying to keep the truck on the windy road down the mountain. My brakes must have hated me. I was satisfied, though, and figured we were almost out of the woods. I was wrong. The smell was still there. Chevy was back up, paws on the center console. Hold on, dang it, I said feeling around in the back seat for the single shot, sawed-off 12-gauge. I'd forgotten about my bad arm, and the pain shot through me as a reminder. Great, I thought. I grabbed my 380 in the glove box. What the heck was that gonna do? The road turned into a straightaway, 
and I eased off the brakes, downshifting the automatic truck to slow down knowing my brakes needed a break. I nearly laughed at myself. I'm probably dead. I had a fascination with that idea. The whole time we'd been driving down a steep mountain. As the vehicle almost came to a stop, I unloaded the 380 into the darkness as a quick warning to whatever was out there. With Chevy back in the front seat, I dropped the pistol, hit the cab light, and finally saw where the 12-gauge had landed. I reached back. That's when my rage turned to horror. I heard Chevy's growl change to the sound he made when he was attacking something. A mixture of barks, growls, and I'll let you imagine the rest. Instinctively, I grabbed the gun with my good arm, partially falling into the back seat and catching myself with my bad arm. Pain shot through me, but it must have popped back into place. I remembered the gun case under the seat. It sounds ridiculous, but living in St. Louis, during the riots, people were paranoid. Plus, what 23-year-old didn't want an AK-47? I kept that thing loaded. Yeah, I was dumb. Ripping open the case, I grabbed it. This entire event happened within seconds, but it felt like a lifetime. Chevy's body was blocking the window. I grabbed his collar, pulling him back as hard as I could. What I saw made me realize in an instant that if he wasn't there, I would have been dead. And if I had known what he was facing off with through the window, I never would have stopped. The rage I'd battled with my entire life came back with a vengeance. Tears poured down my face, not knowing if my limp dog was dead or alive. My AK pointed directly towards the blood-stained mouth of the creature. I grabbed the 30-round clip, pulling the trigger until the gun clicked several times. The creature was pale and lanky, sharp teeth stained red. I'd emptied those rounds into it and it fell away from the truck. I floored it then, flying down the road until I could no longer smell its stench anymore. After this event, I would later talk to a man who told me that the name of the creature would draw it to you, endangering you and those around you. So I can't say its name. I would also have that same man bless me and my dog, who received 157 stitches and 42 staples to his face, neck, chest, and front legs. We stayed in a very remote location under a white ash tree until he was fully healed. Psychiatrists say it's all in my head, but I know they're wrong. You believe what you want. But when I met that man, the month I spent on that reservation, the men and women who did everything they could for me, something I'll never be able to repay them for, didn't bat an eye at my story. If I were you, I'd stay out of the mountains of Flagstaff. Thanks for listening to Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us in a number of other ways. You can go to eeriecast.store to buy some creepy t-shirts or coffee mugs. Go to eeriecast.com to listen to and follow this show and our other scary podcasts on your favorite podcasting app, or follow me on Twitter at darkprevails for more screams and memes. Before I go, be sure to send me your scariest stories of the unexplained at darkstories.org. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.
pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.